John chapter 20, verses 19 through to 31. Uh, it'll be on the screen if you've got your Bibles open, have them open because we're going to look at a couple of parts before it and after it as well. Thanks. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks that we have your word and that in it we have recorded all that you desire us to know about you. Father, we pray that as we look into John, as we come to the last of our series in the book of John, Lord, as we look at this last part, we pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds will be opened are new to you, that maybe a story we've heard many times will have a new truth and a new impact upon us, Lord. We pray your spirit will do a mighty work with your word in our lives this morning, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when was the last time you saw someone come back from the dead? Doesn't happen very often, does it? And I'm not just meaning about uh, the blokes that they say in the football. He's just done a Lazarus. Uh, somehow he's regained his form and done something better or that uh, he's come back from the dead from a political position. He somehow got back in front or done something like that. But no, someone who has really come back to life. We don't expect it, do we? Imagine if you went to a friend's funeral and then you went to their burial place you wouldn't be expecting to see them come out. 
I know I've been to funerals when I wished that that would be the case, but it doesn't happen, does it? I read the other day in Italy that uh, some people are hoping that it would happen and for a little over $6,000, you can get a ready-made coffin with the beepers in it, a two-way radio speakers, a torch, oxygen tank and a heartbeat sensor. Just in case. They're catering for some people who maybe think somehow they might be able to come back to life. But have you ever seen anyone come back to life? Doesn't happen, does it? The human bodies are so frail, aren't they? They're like a party balloon that escapes from the the party and goes across the road, hits the grass and they're gone. And we doubt that anyone could come back to life because we don't see it. I've conducted more than 200 funerals since I've been here in Evans Head and I've seen none of them come back to life. It's natural to doubt, isn't it? And it's natural to doubt then that Jesus could possibly come back to life because it's not part of our normal sense. We don't think that could happen. We don't see that happen. So therefore, how could it possibly happen with anyone, let alone Jesus? One of Jesus' best mates doubted that it could possibly happen. Thomas, in verse 24 to 26 that Rilla just read for us, Thomas says, stop pulling my leg, guys. There's no way anyone can come back from the dead. I won't believe it unless I see him, unless I touch him. He wants the evidence. We want the evidence. How good is it that you and I do have the evidence? We have John's account for us. We've been working through John's account here at church over this whole term. And here in the last couple of chapters of John's account of Jesus' life, his death, And now we get his account of his resurrection, that he actually comes back to life. And John says to us, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't say that he's not a biased account. He says, I'm writing this so that you may have life and have it to the full, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of Christ. He openly says that to us, but he openly says too that this is an honest and true account. And when you read it, it rings true. Because John goes to careful lengths to show us that Jesus does come back to life. And the first thing he does for us, he goes to careful lengths to show us that Jesus was first and foremost actually dead. That he didn't somehow fake it. That he wasn't just fooling his disciples, that he just wasn't pulling the wool over their eyes, that somehow he just passed out and then came back to life. John shows us clearly that Jesus was dead. Uh, If you have a look at chapter 19, verses 31 to 35, I think that'll go up on the screen. Uh, If you have a look there, that's just the last part of Jesus' death. And when they came to Jesus just before this, they were going to go around and break the legs of the people that were hanging on the crosses at that point in time because they didn't want them hanging around for the Sabbath. So they wanted to get them down. They go around and they go to go to break Jesus' legs and they look at him and they say, he's dead. And you might say, how would they know that? Well, Romans were experts at execution. They'd perfected it. They'd been working hard for hundreds of years of knowing how best to kill someone and to do it as painful as possible and as well as possible. They knew how to kill people. And they knew when they were dead. And so these guys that are around the cross at this time, these four soldiers, they were experts at knowing when someone was dead. 
And they looked at Jesus and he said, he's dead. We don't need to break his legs. But to just make sure, John shows us that they do something just in case there's a slight chance that maybe he's just closed his eyes for a moment, maybe he's having a bit of a nap, maybe he's just having a little bit of a siesta, and they, boom, they shove him with a spear up underneath the rib cage. And what happens? Blood and water flows. Now, why does John record blood and water? It's interesting. You want to say a whole lot of gunk came out. A whole lot of it came out. If you're a medical, you'd know like mom would know. She would know that it's not nice when you spear someone when they're dead and stuff inside of them. But why does he record blood and water? Because he's saying that this guy is dead. His heart has stopped. His blood has stopped pumping. The plasma and the red blood cells have separated and they're, then, they're apart now and so there's blood and water flows. They say that when you die, and especially on the cross, you basically flood your lungs because you can't breathe anymore. And they think that what happened was underneath Jesus' lungs, it filled up with a whole lot of stuff and it filled up so the blood and water separated and when they hit it, it went, went out everywhere. Why does John record that for us? Because he wants us to know that Jesus was dead. There's no chance that somehow he's pulling the wool over their eyes. But not only that, we get down to the next little part of the Bible, which I don't think I've got up there, uh, and we see that there's these two guys, these two Jews, who are closet Christians in one sense, and, and they actually come out. And they, Nicodemus and Joseph, uh, Joseph comes out and he, he takes Jesus' body down off the cross and Nicodemus together, they get him. They're part of the Jewish ruling council. They're part of high up in the Jewish... But they believe in Jesus. They grab him and they take him and they bury him. They take him to a tomb and then they wrap him up and mummify him. And they use a heap of spices, 35 kilograms or something around him. And then they wrap him up. Now, if he wasn't dead before, he's going to be dead now. He can't breathe when he's been mummified and he's got all these spices all over him. He's, he wouldn't be able to do it. Why does John show us that? Because he wants us to know that Jesus is dead. All the excuses are blown away. This bloke is dead. Now I want to show you something because as I was doing this, a Monty Python skit came to my mind. And I thought this Monty Python skit is doing exactly what John wants to show us in the Bible. So we're going to watch a Monty Python skit about the dead parrot. Dead. And so John, I think, has recorded for us in the Gospels a number of the things that people would try and have a go to say that Jesus isn't dead. Well, he's just resting. No, he's not. He's had a spear through his side. Oh, well, he's just having a bit of a nap and, you know, he's going to come back. No, he's been wrapped. He's been mummified. He's been stuck in a, in a, in a grave. Oh, look, you know, he'll come back to life after a little while. You know, he's just, he's just had a bit of a... His heart palpitations went so low that they didn't realise he was here. And then he was actually going to go, get up, come out, roll the huge rock away, take on a guard of four soldiers. And he was... This bloke is dead. He is an ex person in John Cleese's words and he is that's what John wants to show us he says he is dead realize it he's dead this guy is gone but is he 
He's not gone because something amazing happens. He's dead as much as everything and as much as we see. He is dead, gone, finished with. But he comes back alive. He is alive. See so what John's doing? He's contrasting. He's saying he was dead, but there has been a miracle here. This guy is alive. Something amazing has happened that doesn't normally happen, that doesn't ever happen. He's the only one who's done it. He was dead and now he's alive. And why does he show us that he's alive? Because he comes and speaks to people. And the very first person he speaks to, the very first person who sees him is a woman. Now, I love women. They're great, especially my wife. But back then, when it came to women, they were very much second-rate people. Women were not called up to give evidence in court because they weren't respected for that. Their testimony was worth nothing. But yet, John says the very first person who saw Jesus was Mary, a woman. That's amazing, isn't it? If this wasn't real, then John would have tried to fudge that. He would have scratched that out of his record. He would have said, no, he appeared to some really impressive people, to some like maybe Nicodemus and Joseph, because they were high up in the Jewish ruling council. No, he goes to a woman. And it's beautiful, isn't it? He goes to a woman and she's crying. She's outside the tomb. She is distraught. And through her tears and her crying, she looks in and she sees some angels and they say, he's not here. And then she, she turns around, there's someone behind her and she asks, have you seen my Lord? And he says, woman. And she goes, my Lord, Rabbanite. Jesus alive. Imagine the exhilaration that was going through Mary at that point in time. She'd gone there just to try and see whether she could somehow help out or what was going on. I'm not too sure what she was going to end up doing. But then she sees him alive. Standing, talking to her. Remember Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They know me. Mary heard Jesus' voice, and she knew him. All that he said is true. All that he promised has come to fruition. And he's standing there talking to her. She would have just been blown away, wouldn't she? I think we miss that, don't we? Because we hear the story so much, but just imagine being there and actually seeing. Imagine if you saw anyone that you love standing beside you alive. You would be out of your mind. You would just been so excited and here she sees Jesus. And she's excited. She races off and she goes and tells the guys that he's there. And in verse 20 we see, I think next one down, I think. Oh, okay. Well, it was there. I did have that up there. Go to the next one. And then we see that he goes and he appears to his, de- his ten disciples. Because Judas is not there, and neither is Thomas. So there's only ten there at the moment. And these guys are doubting, aren't they? They're wondering. They're, they're, they're not sure what's going on. And Mary comes and tells them 
that they're alive. And so there's not just one person now that sees Jesus, there's now another 10 that see Jesus. And then a little bit later we see it's 10 plus Thomas plus others and then 1 Corinthians 15, there's over 500 people who see Jesus alive. Now that is hard to fake. Now, if you hear one person tell you a story that's pretty amazing, even if it's a good friend and it's pretty out there, you, you tend to believe them, but you think, ah, could that possibly be true? But what about if another person comes up and tells you the same thing and then another, then another, then another, then 500 people come and tell you the exact same thing? It's pretty convincing evidence, isn't it? You'd be very hard-pressed to dismiss it when 500 people came and told you. But Thomas still doesn't believe. Look at verses 24 to 31 that we read earlier. Uh, This is where they get the doubting Thomas from, doesn't it? It comes from this passage. And here we see Thomas. uh, He's doubted Uh, for some reason. He wasn't there a week ago. For some reason, he might have been out watching the Sunday night sheep herding contest or something. He wasn't actually there when uh, Jesus turned up the first time. And so he says, guys, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe you unless I can stick my fingers in his wounds. I reckon I probably would have been a bit with Thomas, wouldn't you? I would have wanted to see him. I would have wanted to touch him. I would have wanted to physically go, are you really there? And so look what happens. About a week later, Jesus' followers are together there in verse 26. And this time, Thomas is there and Jesus shows up. And Jesus says, mate, come here. Put your fingers here. Touch my side. So Judas goes over and puts his fingers in. No, he doesn't, does he? Sorry, Thomas. Thomas doesn't go, does he? He says, Thomas gets on his knees and bows down and says, Lord, my Lord and my God. He sees He believes and he's completely convinced. Do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus was dead. He is alive. Doubting Thomas believed. Do you believe? Because if you do believe, then Jesus promises that you will have life and have life to the full. A life now and a perfect life for eternity. That when we believe in Jesus, we actually become alive to him, alive to what life is really on about. Now, I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's a good little illustration. Uh, In Tasmania, there's a place called Wineglass Bay. If you've ever seen it, it's a beach that's ranked in the top 10 beaches in Australia. It's on the east coast of Tassie. You walk across the hazards and down into Wineglass Bay. When you get to the top of the hazards, uh, which is this red granite rock uh, sort of uh, mountain type thing, uh, it's a stunning from Coles Bay side. If you ever go to Tassie, don't miss Coles Bay, by the way. It's the best place in Tassie. Uh, and you see, you walk up, you get up on top, and when you look down, there is this pristine beach. It's, and it's like a wine glass. It's got this really big curve on it. And it's beautiful, clear crystal clear water it is stunning the sand is white wow and then you walk your way down you go down into it uh, you get down to the bottom you think this is unbelievable 
And it might be the middle of summer because that's a good time to be there. You get down, it's about 23 degrees in the middle of summer. Uh, you get down and you think, oh, I've got to swim in this. This is just fantastic. And as you get down to your bodies and you run towards the water and you hit your toe, hits the water and you go, oh, that's freezing. That is cold. You think, I've got to hit this water. This is fantastic. You dive in and as that water rushes across you, you get that brain freeze and then it goes down across your head and onto your body and you think, Oh, I am alive. And you jump out of the water and you go, yes. And then you run out again because it's too freezing. But you feel alive. Every sense is your whole part of your body is just tingling because everything has been hit by this. You think, this is life. You never want to go back in there again, but you love the feeling because everything's alive. When you trust and believe in Jesus, the life switch is turned on. You are alive to what life is about. You're alive to what you've been created to be. You're alive to what life and how it is to be lived. You're alive to love God. You're alive to love others. You see, when we know and trust and believe in Jesus, when we see him and bow before him, we see life is about loving God through Jesus and that life now is about loving people like Jesus. Life is about loving God through Jesus. Life is about loving people like Jesus. And this is life-giving. It sets a completely new focus. Suddenly everything becomes, oh, I know what it's about. I know what I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to be on about. Now, I don't get it all. And I'm not perfect by any means. But you start to realise what life is supposed to be like and to live and to be lived like. That's what life's about. All this is ours if we believe in Jesus in his life as a perfect example of a godly life, in his death as a substitute for us who stands in for sin, who died for us, as Sam did that brilliant illustration about that uh, situation in the POW camp. He gave his life for us. In his resurrection that shows he has defeated death and he guarantees us life. Do you believe it? If you don't, can I really encourage you to keep checking it out? Because it does make so much sense. And your eternity hangs in the balance with it as well. If you do believe it, can I encourage you to dive into it? To really let it sink in because you don't normally see people come back to life and if you did your life would be changed wouldn't it you would be so excited about them and want to spend time with them and know them and get to know them and tell people about it when you know Jesus came back to life when you know Jesus died so that you could have life when you know Jesus rose from the dead guaranteeing your life, then that's exciting. That is amazing news. It's got to change us, doesn't it? 
Don't let it just be a warm bath. Let it be like the cold water of wine glass bay that hits you and says, yes, I'm alive. John says at the end there in verse 31, this has been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe it or not, the choice is yours and the consequences are eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, many of us have read this account many times. Sometimes it has just ended up being words that we've heard and just wash across us but don't impact us. Heavenly Father, whatever position we're in this morning, I pray that that's not the case for us today. That today what we have heard and what we have read, Lord, will penetrate deep into our souls. That by your spirit, Lord, you will take it and apply it to our hearts, Lord. And that we will go from here being refreshed, Lord, being rejuvenated, being enthusiastic for you, Lord. To go out from here, Lord, and to live life the way that you desire us to. To live life in love for you, Lord. To live life in loving others that you've placed around us. In living life, Lord, in seeking to see others come to love you too. Lord, may that enliven us, enrich us and drive us to be passionate about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.